Hello and welcome to New Hope Church Podcast. You're listening to our series, Pixels of Great Joy. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv. We would love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Well, Christmas is a time of year for many traditions. By the way, Thanksgiving is a time of year for many traditions as well. Um, just so you know, a couple of them real quick. I asked people at Thanksgiving time, don't read this yet, don't read this yet. I asked, <clears throat> I asked people on Thanksgiving, what is your family tradition? What do you eat? Do you eat the regular? And, and I had two different families in our church. One said, no, they only eat seafood on Thanksgiving. Very unusual. Sounds good, but it's very unusual. Another one said, they have sauerkraut every Thanksgiving. Anybody else have sauerkraut on Thanksgiving? I didn't think so. That's weird. Um, <clears throat> everybody's a little different. This is a family that's a little bit different. Um, they have a 141-year-old fruitcake that was baked in 1878 by the, their great, 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 however many greats, grandmother. What happened was, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> She, bought, she brought one to the family gathering every single year, but in 1878, she baked it, and then before the family gathering, she died. Okay, that's not funny. <laughs> but she died. I'm just saying, baked, died, family gathering. So they took it to the family gathering, but I don't know, was it uh, grief? I don't know what happened, but nobody could eat it. How many of you wouldn't be able to eat it the first, how many of you wouldn't be able to eat a fruit cake? Um, so nobody ate it the first year, so they brought it back the second year. Then they brought it back the third year. They've been bringing it back for 141 years, every year to the family gathering. And they have said, I don't know who they is, but they have said that it is still okay to eat it. Seriously, they said because it's so dry, it doesn't have any bacteria or anything. And Jay Leno, years ago, when The Tonight Show was going, he was uh, the guy, he actually took a bite of it and he said it tasted old. <laughs> I can see that. But uh, this is somehow hilarious and awesome at the same time. Okay? We have a better tradition at our church. We have, thank or we have Thanksgiving Eve. We have Christmas Eve services. And if you haven't joined us, do so. I like to call uh, Christmas Eve for you and your family an easy win. It's an easy win. Your family's all stressed out. Your family, your kids are over the top thinking about presents. Just bring them to church, man. Just get your family to church. Spend some quiet moments together remembering what this is all about. And I would also say invite somebody to come with you. People are looking for a place to go on Christmas Eve, even people that don't go to church, give them a place, give them an invitation to come with you. And then I need to say this out loud, the weekend after Christmas, which if you don't know, we have Thursday night services at all of our campuses. It's the first service of the weekend. So Christmas Eve is Tuesday, Christmas is Wednesday, then comes Thursday. We're not gonna have services on the Thursday after Christmas. We've canceled those services for this weekend. No services on Thursday night, after Christmas, I keep wanting to say Thanksgiving. After, after Christmas, no services day after Christmas, okay? And then on Sunday, we're abbreviating our schedule. We're losing the 8.15 and we're losing the one o'clock at the two campuses that have one o'clock. So only the, only, listen to me now, only on the, on the 29th, 
only the 945 and the 1115 service. Only the 945 and 1115 service, and at the 288 campus, the five o'clock. Those three at the 288 campus, every other campus, 945 and 1115. Do you understand? Everybody with me? Okay, here's something else cool about that weekend. I won't be here. I'm going to be preaching in Los Angeles, but what the church is going to do there, Shepherd Church in Los Angeles, they're going to broadcast and so that I can preach to you at the same time that I'm preaching to them from Los Angeles. So, it's going to be fun. And I am, I, just watch me, man, just watch me. I am going to mention the 2017 World Series when the Houston Astros defeated the LA Dodgers. I'm going to go there, man. I'm doing it right up front. I may, they may shut me down, you know, so just watch the feed. And if I get shut off, you know what happened. They just are, they're pulling me off the stage at that time. Okay, so here's the deal. We're in week three of this series, Pixels of Great Joy, talking about the gifts that Jesus brought with him to help us to see him clearly. People couldn't see him clearly when he first came. I was watching the History Channel the other night, which means my wife was not in the room. And how many of you like the History Channel? Anybody? Okay, Hallmark Channel. Hallmark? <laughs> it's about an even split. Um, history amazes me, and here's why. On this side of history, as in after the fact, we get a nice view of how things worked out. The one I was watching the other day was about World War II. And when you watch a, a documentary like that, you really get to see, man, it was intense, okay? Whereas if you were to read something, and even a history book, the, the whole Second World War is condensed into a few paragraphs now, and it's like, it's like and, and this is what a lot of us think, it was tough, it was difficult, but we're tougher, and we came in, we kicked some butt, and it, there was never a doubt. But that wasn't true. Difficult decisions were made, people sacrificed, people died. And now to us, it's an optimistic paragraph in a history book, but in real time, the conclusion was pixelated. It was unclear how it was going to work out. And I, and I use that term because it's the same thing for, for when Jesus came. People had been waiting for the Messiah for a long time. They knew the prophecies, tons of prophecies about how he would be born and even where he would be born. But even though he lined up with those prophecies, people still didn't see him. A lot of folks didn't see him. I can remember waking up Christmas morning when I was a kid, and this is a house I lived in. Thank you, Google Earth. I, uh, this is a house I grew up in. It's the parsonage, uh, because my dad was a pastor, and so this is the parsonage that we got to stay in. And uh, I don't know how old it was, but it was old back when I lived there. And um, at one time I told my parents this, a few years back it was on sale on Zillow for $10,000. You could, buy, you could buy my childhood home. I, was, I almost bought it and made a museum out of it, you know, but it, I didn't think anybody would show up. Um, but gray house. I love, I love this house. Five boys in this house. Just so you know, my parents' room is right here. And uh, you see they have an AC unit down here. That wasn't true when we were there. The only room that was, uh, had AC was my parents' room up here. They had the AC unit in a window over here, and it was like 50 degrees in the room. Meanwhile, over here, it was like 132 degrees, and <laughs> they kept their door shut. And uh, <laughs> right, mom and dad, they're in this service, yeah. Um, 
But anyway, here's uh, my, my brother and I, uh, two, two boys in this room, one boy down here, two boys in the other side of the house. It looks just like this side. So my bed was right here. That was my window the entire time I was growing up. And uh, you have to go on the other side of my parents' room to the stairway that came down, looped around like this. And then right here was the Christmas tree. Right here inside these windows was the Christmas tree. So the Christmas tree is right here compared to my bed. But early on Christmas morning, I would often, years and years and years of doing this, would get up, go downstairs, sneak past my parents' door, go downstairs, and uh, look at the Christmas presents. And since there were five boys in the house, certainly all the Christmas presents were not mine, but I would look for the ones that were mine, and you know which ones I would start with. The big ones. The big ones, because every kid wants the big one, right? Wants the, and, and there's something irresistible about a huge, brightly wrapped Christmas present. But, but I think the older we get, the more we realize that the best things in life can't be bought, wrapped, or put under the tree. Somebody say amen if you're with me. Okay, so the most important things are what God has done for us, what God is doing in us and what God wants to do through us and the gifts that he has given to us. And we've, we've talked about some of those gifts already. We talked about that gift, the gift of grace that we all were in need of. Amen to that. We're all in need of the gift of grace. We talked last week, Pastor Howard taught us about the gift of peace, did a great job doing so. And today I want to talk to you about the gift of purpose. I have some verses that I want you to write down. I actually have them written right here in the kind of the middle of my Bible between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And you know what this is? This is, this is my, it's a bookmark, yeah. But it is my, uh, it is my hospital band that went around my arm for when I had my uh, ablation, when they fixed my heart, okay? So I have it right here in the middle of my Bible, just as a reminder. Life is precious, life is short. You don't know how many days you have left. Amen to that? <clears throat> so, we all, have a, we all have a purpose. And let, let me give you some verses. I want you to jot these down. I'm not going to, okay, I'm gonna read them probably. <laughs> but you read them later and you mark them because it kinda, it, it tells you why you're here. If you wake up in the middle of the night and wonder why you're here, wonder if God has a, a purpose for you, I want you to get this listening guide that you're about to write these verses on. I want you to, to look up these verses. I want you to, to read them, and I want you to pray about them, okay? First one is 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. It says, you are a chosen people. It's talking to you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. That, so, so you are what you are, so that, here's, 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 here's why we're here now, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen? Amen. Write this down, Ephesians 2.10. You can abbreviate EPH, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we're here to give him glory with our lives, to do good works, and write this one down. Matthew 5, 16. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says, let your 
Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to God. That's why we're here, to give glory to God. And this helps every single one of us. If you're listening to me right now, this helps every single one of us because when you get up in the morning and you have a bad day, when you have a bad day, you can still give glory to God because God's got a purpose for you. When it's a good day, you can give glory to God because God has a purpose for you. When you're going through a tough time, you can give glory to God because God has a purpose for you. When you win the state championship, you can give glory. You can give glory to God because God has a purpose for your life. When you lose a game you should have won, you can do what? Give glory to God because God has a purpose for us even in the difficult times of our lives. That's what I want you to see, that God's purpose is bigger than you and bigger than anything you go through. In fact, let me show you three things, three characteristics of this gift on your listening guide. Number one, God's gift of purpose for you is greater than your bank account. How many of you happy about that? <clears throat> Jesus' parents were poor. They were poor. Let me give you a little background. Mary was young, probably a teenager. She's from a small village called Nazareth, less than 1,000 people, a no place ville in that part of the world. No places as uh, far as a lot of people were concerned. In fact, even Jesus' disciples, there was Philip, G Jesus called Philip to follow him. Philip said, I'm gonna go tell my brother. He goes, tells his brother, Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. Nathaniel says, tell me about him. He says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's exact words, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like that's nowheresville. And that's where Mary was from, which means that people might have called her a nobody. Okay, then there's Joseph, Jesus' stepdad. He's a carpenter. And <clears throat> by the way, <clears throat> pardon me, the word carpenter in the original language does not mean woodworker, it means builder, which means he wasn't just a builder with wood, he probably worked with stone and maybe tile and other things, he was just a blue collar worker back in his day, lived probably job to job. And so if you make the assumption that they were probably poor based on those things that I've just told you about, that assumption becomes more like fact when you see the sacrifice that they offered after Jesus was born. When he was born, they went to the temple uh, to present him to the Lord, and when you went to the temple, you're supposed to bring a lamb to be sacrificed for your sins, but if you didn't have enough money to get a lamb, you could get by with another offering that the law talked about. It's like a sliding scale based on your income, and Leviticus chapter five, <clears throat> Waiting, there we go. Leviticus, I have to do that so people can see it, all right? Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin. So the sliding scale sacrifice, two birds, okay? It's all the way, way back in the Old Testament. And then in Luke chapter two, it says Jesus, or Joseph and Mary came with Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. <clears throat> Jesus' parents were poor. And out of all the families in the world that God could have chosen to be the folks that would raise Jesus and care for him in their home, 
God chose a poor family, not a rich family, not even a middle class family, a poor family. How many, how many of you grew up in homes, let me be uh, a little sensitive to this uh, when I say this. How many of you grew up in homes, not a lot of money, not a lot of money in your home, okay? Don't, don't be ashamed by that. How many of you actually feel like growing in a home, or growing up in a home without a whole lot of money has actually helped you to appreciate things that you have now in your life? Then why do we spoil our kids so much? That's a sermon for another day. I just thought I would pose the question right now though. But God can use even the poorest of people in the most significant ways. And here, in fact, here's what I've learned. God loves messing with people's minds. He loves using folks that other people would just look past. And he likes using those folks in significant ways. Did you know he does? First Corinthians chapter one says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were smart. <laughs> I don't know if this is a put down or what, but it says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God did what? Chose, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose meaning God granted purpose for people that other folks didn't have a great expectation of in this world. They were next to nothing in the world's eyes. Now what's cool about our church family is we have all kinds of people in our church. We got pro athletes, we got people who are physically handicapped, we got CEOs, we got people who work for minimum wage. We have all the races represented, thank you Lord. We have longtime Christ followers. We have folks who are just now starting off in their faith. But I want you to know something, for every single person, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, for every single person, the expectation from Almighty God is the same for your life, that you live it in a way, good days and bad, that brings glory and honor and praise to Him. Amen? Amen? And so, so we can't hide behind any excuse. We can't say, well, I, 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 would, I would do better if I had some more money, but I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough talent. No matter who you are, rich, poor, weak, strong, God wants to use you for his glory. And the Christmas story proves it again. God can use anybody who's willing. In fact, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the greatest ability is availability. Are you available to God? Secondly, God's gift of purpose for you is greater than where you're from. It's greater than where you're from. We kind of talked about Nazareth a little bit. The prophecy is that, uh, is that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem at the time, a town of, you know, people say 150 to 300 people. I mean, that's a small town. And how many of you grew up in a small town? Not that small, but you grew up in a small town. Okay, I did too. I grew up in Brazil, Indiana. Brazil, Indiana, population 7,000. There are more, more people in church today at New Hope than were in the town that I grew up in, which is amazing to me. But you gotta love small towns. You know, mom and pop stores, uh, parades down Main Street in the middle of the day, doesn't matter. Um, I've told you a little bit about this before, and I'm not going to spend too much time here, but when I, when I was a senior in high school, our team, basketball team, went to the Sweet 16. Before 
the classifications before AA and AAA and you know, quadruple A and so forth. And, and so we're all in the same pool. Our little tiny school went all the way to the final 16 teams and then we got beat by the team that went on a couple games later to win the state championship. So it's kind of a David versus Goliath thing. You seen Hoosiers? Okay, I was in that, no, I wasn't in that movie. I was, in, <laughs> I was the guy that could shoot. Uh, no, that wasn't me. But anyway, uh, here, here's just an indicator of how crazy our little tiny small town was at that time. We got done with the regionals in Terre Haute where Larry Bird played in Indiana State University. We're coming back on the vans, so we get to the edge of town. There are fire trucks and police cars. We get off of the, we get out of the vans, we get onto the fire truck, and they drive us through town. And there's people lining the street of downtown at midnight to cheer for us, we take a left right by my old house up the street to the, to the, uh, height, or to the uh, uh, gymnasium. We all go into the gymnasium. People crowd, it's standing room only. We have a pep session at midnight. It was crazy, man, crazy awesome. I forgot this part though. When we were on the fire truck, we got about halfway through the town and the fire truck got a call and we all had to get off the fire truck. <laughs> The fire truck went to fight the fire, wherever that was. But anyway, small towns, man, you gotta love them. When, uh, when I was in Bible college, I, I started preaching at a church when I was a sophomore, <clears throat> preacher, sophomore, junior, senior year, and a little bit after my senior year, and uh, had a good time. It was a church that ran about 35 people. And uh, when it, you know, Easter and other big times, we'd have like almost 50 people. And, some of you are like, that's not very many people. There are only 300 people in the town. So we were killing it, man. We were killing it at that church. <laughs> Thanks to Google Earth again, here's a picture of the church I preach at. And this is a, a house next to it that nobody lived there, that belonged by family out in the countryside. And so they let me stay there whenever I needed to. But the newspaper in this little town, Toronto, Kansas, was more, was more like a flyer, you know? And I'll always remember the headlines on the front of the flyer or the newspaper one time. It said, BB gun damage at Johnson's store. That was like a headline. Apparently there was a drive-by shooting <laughs> on some Schwinn bikes and uh, little mark at the bottom of one of the windows of Johnson's store, probably some kids from my youth group, but it was a big news, you know, that made the headlines, which is awesome, isn't it? There was a, uh, one time I was just looking through headlines of small towns. I found a town in North Dakota, Oaks, North Dakota, population is 1,700. On the front of their newspaper, I just, I just was curious. I just said, what are, what are, they, what are they talking about in a small town? The, on the front page, they had a story about a guy who had duck decoys that belonged to his dad from Sears and Roebuck, but they were going to be on display at the bakery downtown. They gave details like this, on top of some baskets, and you can come into the bakery and view them, or if you don't want to come into the bakery, you can stand outside and look in the windows to see the decoys. Okay, this is all the information that's in this article. And I wanted to make fun of it so bad, but I wanted to go see the decoys at the bakery too. <laughs> Gotta love small towns, right? Bethlehem, small, small. Nothing gonna happen there. Nothing gonna happen there, man. Maybe some BB gun damage, who knows, but not much. And I don't know what they had on the front of their flyer if they had one back when Mary and Joseph came to town, but I do know this, probably not a lot going on there. Little town near Jerusalem, 
Like I said, population, maybe a couple hundred, maybe 300 at the time. No important crossroads, no notable resources, just a quiet shepherding community. And the argument can be made that God didn't choose, God didn't choose Bethlehem, he chose Mary, and you pretty much gotta be in the room with your mom when you're born. And so she was in Bethlehem, and so that's how come Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, yes and no. God did choose Mary, and God did choose Bethlehem. But Mary was in Nazareth with baby on board. But God had prophesied almost 700 years earlier that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And that's a problem. Mary's not in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. Verse two says, Bethlehem, you are a small village, yet you will be the birthplace of a king who is alive from everlasting ages past. So the reason and the way that God got Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem is that King Herod wanted to do a census for the purpose of collecting taxes, so he made a decree or law that everybody had to go to the town of their grandfathers so they could be counted and then be taxed. And for Joseph, that town was the small village of Bethlehem. And suddenly this small village was overrun with thousands and thousands of people. Luke chapter two says, and everyone went to his own town to register, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, as in one, as in not a... Airbnb, a bunch of houses around to choose from. This is it, and it's full. That's why they ended up in a stable. And the reason I bring this up when we're talking about purpose is this. One of the biggest excuses I've heard throughout my entire ministry of people not allowing God to work in their lives is along this line. I'm not in the right place right now, Pastor. Hey, hey, eventually... I'll, I'll be okay, eventually I'll let God use me, eventually I'll serve, eventually I'll participate, eventually I'll change, eventually I'll get serious, eventually I'll allow God to do something with me, eventually when I'm in the right place, then I feel like God could really do something. It's just not the right time, not the right place for me. And if that's you, I just wanna welcome you to the right place today. Amen. Because no matter where you are, God can still use you, no matter where you're from. God can still use you. Even if you feel like you're in a small place in your life right now, listen to me. God has a purpose that is bigger than you or the place that you're from or the place that you're in. And he wants to use you for his glory. God, God can use you. Even if you're in a small, small place right now, if you are so willing. Then number three. God's gift of purpose for you makes the ordinary extraordinary. Makes the ordinary extraordinary. Jesus' parents were ordinary. The town was ordinary. Even the birth was ordinary. I say the birth was ordinary because we got God coming to earth, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, and this is the explanation that we get in Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Watch how descriptive this is. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. That's it. Now, I have been in the room when birth happens, 
And there are more details. <laughs> Lots more details. <clears throat> you know, watching my children be born, life hangs in the balance. There's a lot of sweating, there's, there's passing out, there's, uh, you feel like you're gonna vomit, and that's just a dad, you know, and, and um, when our second was born, uh, our son, he was big, and Jane had trouble, and, and she'd been pushing for a long time, and her blood pressure was dropping, it would go way down, and she would pass out on the table, and buzzers and bills and alarms would go off and they would slap her and slap her and slap her and try to get her to come to again. I'm, I'm being serious. They would try to get her to wake up and, and, uh, and I, was, I, got, I got real worried. Okay. I got real worried. I'm like, I, everything is just crashing right here. And, and the funny part about this, if there's a funny part about this is be, before he was born, we had gone to that doctor because we were going to interview this doctor, make sure that we wanted him to be the guy. And so we go to this doctor, and I had heard about him that he did a lot of cesareans. So I'm thinking, I've got this negative vibe about him. I'm like, he just, man, he just gets a knife out every chance he gets. He just he must get more money for cutting. Yeah, that's what he does. He gets more money. Natural childbirth doesn't pay that well, probably. And so you've got to do a surgery, collect more dimes, you know. And, and um, so that's what I'm thinking. And that's kind of what's going through my head. So we're interviewing him, and I bring it up. I just said, I hear you do a lot of cesareans. <laughs> and he wasn't defensive at all, but he looked at me like, who are you, you know? And he, he just said, you know, sometimes it's necessary. In, in certain cases, it's necessary. And I was like, well, let's just keep your scalpel to yourself because this is gonna be a natural delivery. That's what we're planning on. He's like, okay. Okay, so day of birth, she's on the table. She's passing out. They're smacking her around a little bit. It's been going on for a long time. That baby's not budging. Things are not working well. He comes in the room, the nurses pull him aside. He's over there like this, and then he looks over at me. And I know what he's thinking. <laughs> I know what he's thinking. And he comes over to me and he says, uh, Mr. Liston, um, we need to get the baby out. I was like, I know, I've been waiting. Get your scalpel and get in here and get the baby out of here. What are you doing? How <laughs> to change a heart, man. <laughs> Can't believe you waited this long. Um, but I just, you know, I just wanted to say, just forget what I said to you, man. I'm stupid. You don't know me, but I'm just an idiot. And just do what you need to do. But birth can be an emotionally draining experience. Would you agree with that? There are moments of terror and doubt sometimes. And then there's pure joy. And I, and I juxtapose that with this. Luke describes the birth this way. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Which is another way of saying ordinary. The ordinary birth. Whenever I buy Jane an expensive gift, I want her to know, and so, I might include her on the, uh, on the re email receipt or, um, <laughs> you know, because you, you don't want to waste a gift. You want them to know. And I, I think about God, though, when he sent Jesus the most expensive gift ever. There's almost no indication about how valuable he was, at least not at first. 
because it came to earth with no fanfare. There's this uh, Christmas song that asks the question, Mary, did you know that your baby boy was Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that when you touched the face of your tiny boy, you touched the face of God? I don't, I don't know if she fully comprehended what she had on her hands. Even when Jesus turned 30 years old and began his ministry, nobody gave him credit. In fact, one time he was teaching in his hometown of Nazareth, and the people who were listening to him, the religious leaders said, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, meaning, who does he think he is? He's normal. And he's trying to act like he's not normal. He's ordinary. We know him. We know his family. And he's, he's talking up there like he's something more than ordinary. You almost can't blame him, though. There's a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah that says he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him meaning there's nothing about the way he looked that would even make people take notice. It's another way of saying he was ordinary looking. But Jesus was not ordinary. And I got news for you today. If you're one of his followers, you're not ordinary either. God can take what you may think is insignificant, and if you give it to him, he can make something amazing out of it. I, um, I'm normal, okay? And I don't know what you think of me and, and whatever your expectations are, like if they're more than normal, just reel them back in, okay? I'm a normal dude, okay? And I, I read the Bible a lot. I do have that going for me. But other than that, I'm pretty normal. And I was out visiting campuses last week. Somebody said to me, they, they, they said something like, wow, thank you for your teaching. You changed my life. And, and I, I rule it quick. If you've ever said anything like that to me, you know what I do. I, I say glory to God. Because I know in the book of Acts, there's a story about Herod. He preached a sermon. He didn't give glory to God. And God struck him with worms and he died. So I don't want worms, man. So <laughs> anytime anybody compliments me, I'm like, oh, no, no. Because part of my deal is this, I don't think that we can take the glory that's intended for God. Humans aren't made for that. And so I just, that's why I deflect and, and give glory to God. But somebody said something very kind to me last week, and I was thinking about this week, and, and, and I just want to explain it this way. I got this much, man. I mean, I got everything in Jesus Christ, but I'm just saying talent-wise and whatever else. I got this much. I got this much right here. And this goes for all of us. Whatever you have, you take it, you give it to the Lord, and he makes something wonderful out of it. Whatever you got, whatever you got, give it to God, and he can do amazing things with it. In fact, it's a Christmas truth that's on your listening guide. When God gets a hold of something, it's not insignificant anymore. If you're feeling kind of insignificant, I just want to tell you something. Give what you got to the Lord. And as his follower living in his purpose, don't underestimate the little things. I'm going to talk about daily little things. Here's a for instance. God lays it on your heart to be an encouragement to somebody. 
You're like, well, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Hey, listen, it's a big deal to that person. It's a big deal to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Maybe you got a family member. Listen to me now. You got a family member who's elderly who doesn't do social media. They don't have a smartphone. They like to put pictures on the refrigerator. And you send them a picture. That's a little thing. Is that a little thing? That's a little thing. But you know what? That's a big thing. When you do something thinking about somebody else in love and what would be good for them. When you grant forgiveness, that may seem like a little thing to you because it becomes a big thing. When you give an invite to Christmas Eve, that seems like a little thing, but it can become a big thing for generations to come in that family. Little things that are really not insignificant because of God. A baby born in a stable in a small town to poor parents that looked ordinary but became our extraordinary Savior who can take away your sins by his sacrificial death on the cross. And he gives you now a purpose for living that is greater than you are. Let me circle back to just saying, invite somebody to Christmas Eve, okay? And, and I, I, I know, I can feel it right now, I can feel it. Like, oh, really, do I have to? Do I have because I, I got family and so forth. Because it seems like such a little thing. But if you do it, I'm telling you, people are looking for a place to go, and it may be that you invite somebody who has not been to church in a long time, maybe ever, and they show up, and they find salvation in Jesus Christ. That baby who came to Bethlehem can become real to them. So don't miss that opportunity. I want you to stand with me, please. All righty, so if you need to make a decision today, if you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, as always, prayer partners will be stationed right down here at the front of the room. Come and see him before you go. If you need prayer for something, come on down and get some prayer before you leave this place. Let's bow. Thank you, God, that we're here on purpose. There's not one mistake here, Lord, but all of us are significant in your eyes. I pray, God, that we could, we could live for you and in your purpose, God, through good times and bad, that we would understand that there's something going on. There's a, a grand plan, and it's a, a good plan that you have for us. Use us, God, for your glory. Watch over us. Bring us back, hopefully Tuesday, Lord. As we celebrate your son, I pray all this in his name. And all the people said, God bless, guys. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with your friends, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. Thanks for listening.